Hey, I'm Matt Frazier from No Meat Athlete, and I'm with SoFlow Vegan. Welcome to the season six finale of the SoFlow Vegans podcast. On today's episode, we have the No Meat Athlete, Matt Frazier, on the show. During our conversation, we discuss his new book, his vegan origin story, what attracted him to running, and so much more. This episode has been brought to you by the Seafood and Wine Festival. After taking a hiatus in 2020 for obvious reasons, Seed is back and SoFlow Vegans is excited to be returning to show our support. To celebrate the return, Seed is offering our community 20% off the Burger Battle, Seed Summit, Festival Day, and Brunch Bloom. Be sure to use code SOFLOVEGANS20 at checkout to redeem this offer. Once again, that code is SOFLOVEGANS20. Stay tuned until the end of the episode to learn more about what we have in store for Season 7 and how you can get involved in the SOFLOVEGANS community. Hey, everybody, welcome to the SoFlow Vegans podcast. I'm your host, Sean Russell, also founder of SoFlow Vegans. And today we have a special guest on the show. We have Matt Frazier, the no meat athlete on the SoFlow Vegans podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, my pleasure, Sean. Thank you for having me on. And I've been, we've been hearing about you for years now through people that are in our community and seeing you pop up with this recent book. We had a chance to speak with Robert Sheik, so we're excited to speak to you to kind of hear your take on everything, but more importantly, find out about vegan origin story. And that's how we like to start off these podcasts. So you can jump right into it and let us know how those seeds were planted to grow you into the person you are now. Yeah, sure. So uh, I you know, didn't, didn't know anything about what vegetarian or vegan was growing up. It was not part of my family's... Uh, story in any way. Um, but when I got into college, I started getting into fitness with some friends and, uh, you know, just like weightlifting and stuff like that. But we said, for some reason, just crazy college kids, we said, Hey, what if we would run a marathon? Like that would be really cool. We could do it. We would lose a bunch of fat. And why couldn't we do that? Even though we're not runners and don't know anything about it. Like, sure, let's just go run a marathon. So we, we decided we were going to do that, but not just qualify. We were going to also qualify, sorry, not just run a marathon, but also qualify for the Boston marathon. Um, which back then took a three hour and 10 minute marathon to do it. And uh, so we, we did train for a marathon. We did cross the finish line, but instead of three hours and 10 minutes, it took us four hours and 53 minutes. So we missed that goal by uh, like 103 minutes, which is about um, four minutes per mile too slow. And that uh, for some reason, just like it just something about it sparked this thing in me where I said, I have to find a way to do that. Like I can't fail that big at a goal. And just never go back to it. It just, it just wasn't, I don't know. It just didn't seem right. So I started thinking about it like, wow, what did it take to do that? And I got really inspired by what type of person, how disciplined, all these things that I would have to become to do that. And I set off on this journey to do it. I didn't know it would take as long as it did, but uh, about five years into that journey, when I had taken 90 minutes off my time, I got inspired for really just personal ethical reasons to uh, become vegetarian. I didn't know what vegan was and didn't, didn't even know that was an option really. But I just imagine like, what if I could stop eating animals? Because I had, had fallen in love with this dog that I had and, you know, was eating pigs and everything like everyone else. And, and I put together like, wow, a pig is like just as smart and feels as much as a dog. Like, how can I eat that animal and love this one so much? And so I wanted to find a way to make that work. Um, and one of the huge hurdles I, in my mind was like protein. And I just didn't know that there were people who ran marathons as vegetarians. I thought it was a really strange thing to do. Um, just shows you what, what kind of my conditioning had been. Um, and so I, I looked around for some information about it and couldn't find anything. This was 2009. So the internet, you know, it was developed somewhat, but, but there just wasn't a big vegan, especially not a vegan fitness scene happening yet. So I couldn't find anything. And I said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to like write how this goes down. I'm going to share all this, you know, the recipes and whether it's working or isn't, because it just seemed like a weird thing to be a marathoner and a vegetarian. Um, and the great, amazing surprise was that it worked really, really well for my training. And just six months after I made that shift, I, uh, I qualified for Boston, took those final 10 minutes off my time, which was, was no small thing to take those final 10 minutes off because I, at that point, you know, I, I had kind of exhausted everything. I didn't know how I would get 10 more minutes faster. Um, 
So to find this surprise that somehow a diet that I thought was going to be a hindrance ended up being the thing that allowed me to finally do it. Um, it was incredible. And then that's in that process, having started the website, that's when I started to hear about people like Scott Jurek, who had been doing this for years in the ultra running scene, Brendan Brazier, who had a book called Thrive back then, really, really great book. Um, met Robert Cheek, who you mentioned a minute ago. And I realized that a lot of these people were doing it. They were being 100% vegan, not just vegetarian. And some of them were doing it for performance reasons, like not just, not just as an ethical thing, but they did it because it offered them the best recovery and other things. So once I learned about that, and now that I had qualified for Boston, my goal shifted to run an ultra marathon, run 50 miles, run 100 miles. And I said, it would be really cool to do that on a vegan diet. Uh, and I thought the vegan diet might actually help me do that. So I, uh, I kept going further. And then about two years after the, the vegetarian, um, you know, uh, what's it called? Transition. Uh, I, I finally completed this transition to 100% vegan. And so when I did my last 50 miler, or my 100 miler, they were, they were 100% vegan. And then I guess that was 2013. So now here we are eight years later, just did, you know, no made athlete since then, uh, growing this amazing community and uh, writing some books, you know, giving some talks, all that kind of stuff. And here we are. Now, I'm, I'm curious about the process of your body, you know, what you're actually feeling because you competed in the uh, high level before you were vegan and then afterwards. So can you take us through sort of like what are some of those differences that you felt where you were able to improve so dramatically? Yeah, and I should clarify, like we can call it a high level, but certainly like I was never a professional or elite or competitive athlete. Um, I was a, a regular guy who just wasn't a runner at all, learned how to run a marathon and then, you know, got 104 minutes faster in the process. And part of that process was this, and then get into ultra running. So like I accomplished some really cool things. Um, but I hope people hear this and, and don't say, well, that's just like a top athlete guy. It doesn't apply to me. Like I'm just a regular runner. Like I just, you know, a lot of people do hundred miles. A lot of people qualify for Boston. Um, and, and in my case, I did those things, but it took me, a, a, I had to go a long way to, to get those done. So anyway, the, um, it's hard to say, like immediately I felt an energetic difference when I went vegetarian, um, just a difference in, in like after, especially after meals in the evenings, just how I felt the ability to like, instead of just go to the couch and be done with the day after dinner, uh, I started noticing that I just had excess energy and wanted to go do something, either work on my website, which was new at the time, or go out for another run. And it might be a second run of the day. And that was, that was something I didn't do before. So like, that was the first immediate impact I felt. And then um, to me, like that, that summer when I qualified for Boston, or when the summer when I was training to finally qualify for Boston, um, I was able to train harder and faster runs and more frequently than ever before. And it's, it's not that I couldn't do those things before, cause I could get those workouts in. It's just that up until I went vegetarian and then even more so vegan, the story of my life as a runner was one of injury. It was about, you know, run for three months, get hurt, take two months off and then be kind of deflated and take another month or two off for that reason. And then work your way back in gradually, slowly this time so that you don't get hurt again. And then do it all again because that's that's what running is for most people and it's unfortunate um and so like when i went plant-based like it it completely changed that i just was able to get these runs in, and that the reason i qualified for boston this time is because i didn't get injured I, I trained just as hard as i'd always tried to it's just that i think the diet prevented me from from i mean allowed me to recover better lessening the chance of injury i don't want to say it just prevents injury um but i i really do think i was recovering better because i was eating great foods that i had been ignoring prior to this like when i was you know a year before I went vegetarian, I was all focused on nutrition, but all I thought about then was protein, carbs, and fat. And I was just trying to hit my numbers. Didn't matter where those things came from. I didn't, I didn't, vegetables didn't make it to my plate very often because they didn't significantly add to my carbohydrate, protein, or fat totals. They just, they were just a vegetable. <laughs> so once I started, my diet became based on fruits and vegetables and things that were fresh and seasoned, um, you can imagine, and I, I do imagine, I don't know for a fact, but to me, it's the fact that they were full of anti-inflammatory compounds, very, very high nutrient density. Um, that just makes it easier for your body to recover. And recover is something that, I, that I'm not imagining because that's something every athlete I've ever talked to who has cited performance benefits on a plant-based diet, they say it's that they can get back out there for the next workout faster and more fully recovered than they could before. So that was the real difference to my body was just injuries stopped happening, even as I got into ultra running because like I said, I was training, I was training for marathons and I was getting hurt all the time. Once I started to become fully vegan, I had to run, you know, like if I had, if I prior to that had tried to run two marathons in three months, which a few times I tried to do that and injury was inevitable, just going to happen if I tried to do that. So I learned not to, 
But then to run 100 miles, I had to train, first of all, way more mileage than ever before. But I also had to run a 50 mile race. I think it was like eight weeks out from the 100. And before that was a 50K, which is 31 miles. That was like maybe 12 weeks out. I forget the exact schedule. But I had, you know, the amount of mileage and times I was racing, I mean, the distances I was racing that close, which that was just unheard of for me before. So like certainly some other factors were at play here, just becoming a more experienced runner. Um, There are things besides the diet that were changing and getting better. But it's just like I said, it's sort of night and day, the difference between before I was plant-based and after um, as to the, you know, how, how often I got injured. It just, it just completely stopped. So as you're saying all this, there's a question in my head that I want to have you answer. Why running? Why marathons? What drew you to wanting to get started in the first place? I think it had to do with the, the impossibility of those things for me. Um, and honestly, the plant-based and vegetarian, especially vegan, it's not that different. Like that was just such a foreign concept growing up. It seemed like that was something that was not for me. That was for other people. And I didn't, I had no curiosity about it. It just, it wasn't, didn't even like register as something that was an option to do. And I would say marathon running is kind of the same. Like we, my family, no one in my family ran just to run. You would run because you had to for a sport. And I hated it. I hated the gym class day. We had to run the mile in gym class. It was the worst day of the year for me. Um, and I even quit like a lacrosse team once that I joined and stopped because it was too much running. I just hated the running. Um, and so I would hear about runners who did marathons and hear that it was 26 miles. And I just remember thinking like, if, if one mile makes me feel the way it does, which is the way it did in gym class. And it's just like terrible. Wanted to throw up, hated it. How can someone possibly do 26 of those? It doesn't, didn't make sense. Like three miles or five miles seemed unfathomable to me. So 26 seemed just crazy. Um, and so that's, I think that's the big thing. I remember like I did a five mile run as I was kind of getting into this. And I remember there was a half marathon on the same course that day. And I remember thinking at the end of five, like, how could someone possibly go 13 when I just did five and feel like I now do? And I was a new runner. So like five was a long way to go. And to imagine going, and then I thought, what a full marathon, that would be to do all that and then do it again. It just seemed crazy. And so something about that uh, really attracted me. And that's the same thing. Once I had run marathons, the first time I heard that people were doing hundred mile races, I literally thought it was a typo on the article I read. I thought it was 10 and it was, that 100, it was funny that they put a hundred instead. Um, but I soon realized that it wasn't. And that's a real thing people did. And so again, I had that experience of like, no way do people actually do that. And no way could I actually do that. And that's what's really special about running for me. Like, I don't love running like a lot of runners do. People do it for their sanity and, and their mental health. And they just have to get their running. Like, I've never, ever felt that way. The attraction for me that makes all the, some of the, sometimes the boredom, the tedium of doing it worth it is this, that, that you know, endurance sports, much different from short distance sports. Um, they're not really about your genetics, like at the very highest levels they are. but the longer um, an event is, the more the performance is really driven by how hard you have worked. And this is why marathons are popular, because they allow people who don't consider themselves to be athletic, have never really done sports as a kid, or maybe never performed well in sports as a kid. Um, it allows you to achieve a pretty elite thing by, by most people's standards that, that, you know, anyone, and that's what's cool about it, just about anyone can do one, uh, if you're willing to put in the time and, you know, suffer some um, and, and sacrifice and but but if you want to, you can make it happen. And so it's it's neat that there's this thing that on some level seems impossible. And yet, on the other hand, is so accessible if you just choose that it's worth it for you and that you're going to put in that time. Um, and so that's what I really like. It's like it, it teaches you that you can do things that you considered impossible. Um, and then also I learned later that how just how great ultra marathon running was at teaching me not to quit things and how strategies for like when you're 40 miles into a 100 mile race and you're just done <laughs> realizing that first of all you learned this lesson that that you weren't done you weren't you weren't even close to done um so and there's got runner david goggins who who famously says that when you think you're um about about out of gas when you just think you're done you're that's when you're about 40 percent of of what you actually have left which is incredible to imagine if that's true and who knows we can't actually measure that but um that's a really neat thing but then like just the strategies like so how do you get from mile 40 to 100 and it's when you already want to stop it for it. And it has to do with learning how to lie to yourself and say, you just have to make it five more miles to the next aid station. And that's where you can stop if you choose to. And then once you get there saying, okay, but can you get to the next one? And then the next, and, and honestly, like for me, it wasn't like, that's how I went vegan. It was, it was me starting vegetarian saying, 
I'm going to go 10 days of eating. And at this point, it was just a little bit of fish, but like no other meat. And for me, that was a huge change when I started transitioning to say just some fish, but mostly vegetables. But it wasn't like do it forever because that would have that would have never lasted if I thought I was giving up cheeseburgers and buffalo wings. I just did it for 10 days. And then I got to the end of that and I said, wait a minute, that was really good. And I felt great. How about we do it for 30 days? And then I did that. And then when I was ready to go vegan, I, I did a 30 day challenge of it. And I actually did the challenge. And then I went back and said, like, I'm not quite ready to do that yet. But I succeeded. I made it this challenge and it was helpful. And then over the next few months, I transitioned. So I just think, I don't know, I kind of you learn those tricks and, and you get good at telling yourself a lie and kind of being okay, knowing that it's probably a lie, but like just convincing yourself that you can keep going for now. And what would you like attribute to that? Because I'm sure there's a personality type that you can look back to or that's shown up in other parts of your life where you take on these challenges and have that willpower to push through it. Have you seen this show up anywhere else in your life? Yeah. I mean, if I think about it, I, I, have some of that. I don't know. I, I wouldn't ever describe myself as like a type A person. I'm just just kind of more laid back and chilled than that. But I, I don't know. I really like um I really like the idea of building something, you know, training something and knowing that you're kind of building this foundation and that and it's months and months of work have gone into something so that you're capable of doing something. And that 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 goes for starting a business, writing a book. Uh something I don't know. I need that vision at the end. Like I said before, like I'm I'm not at all a good everyday runner. And, and in fact after my hundred miler in twenty 13. Um, I really haven't run like that since. I haven't found a passion, found something that's so exciting. And without that thing uh, to motivate me, I like I won't just go out and, and run for the sake of running. I just don't do that. Uh, maybe if I'm trying to get in shape again, I'll set a little schedule and say, here's, here's what I'm going to do. Um, and right now I'm into kettlebell training and I stick, you know, rather religiously to that schedule and don't, and I have actual goals associated with it that I've, from a book I'm, I'm doing, a, there's a program and there are specific goals you're trying to reach regardless of your weight. And it's, it's cool to me to have this idea that I'm building towards something. Um, but I absolutely need that. I can't just like keep going and have no real reason or just sort of a maintenance mode. Like that just doesn't, doesn't work for me. So you talked about it a little bit in your last answer. You are an entrepreneur, you are an author. Let's go into No Mean Athlete. Like, how did that become a thing? <laughs> yeah, so like I said, when I, literally the day that I decided that I was going to be vegetarian, um, I thought, okay, but will it actually work with running? And I started looking around to see if it actually would. I had no hope of starting something in it. It was not the idea, like starting a blog or a website. It was just, can I get some help here or some reassurance? And I couldn't find anything. I, what I found was, um, it just felt like preachy or uh, it just, you know, crappy websites. This was 2009. Some people still had the website from 1997. And it was just like, I don't know. It, it was nothing that made me want to say, hey, these people are on top of it and they're telling me I can do this and they have all these tools. So, you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, wow, there's a big hole here. Um, but more than that, it was just like, I think, I think there's another way to spread this message than I could find. Because I, I had it had not occurred to me to be vegetarian before this. I would get the leaflets handed out and in, in, when I was in grad school, I would collect those. And like, they would mean something to me. And I would take home the pamphlet and I'd keep it and look at it at my desk and just like wonder if I could do that. You know, it'd be the showing chickens when the beaks being cut off and all the other horrible pictures. Um, but in some weird way, I would like kind of hide that. Like, I didn't like just take it to my wife and say, hey, look at this thing. Like, did you know about this? Like, maybe we should do that. Um, it just felt like, oddly, it felt almost dirty and and weird for me to go down that road. And it's strange that that this thing that is such about such compassion um, that it would have that vibe to it, this dark kind of like join this secret cult thing that would put you among this weird group. And you have to then commit to spreading the message. And I don't know, I guess I just thought you kind of had to be an activist if you became vegetarian or vegan. Um, and so when I was looking for information, that was all I saw more of. And it was it just, I don't know, for me, that just never, that part never really resonated, even if it got my attention, and which is good. It, it does a good job of getting attention. Um, but I just wanted something that felt more like a cool site that I could show my friends and them say, oh yeah, that's cool. Like, that's good. That, that doesn't mean that Matt is suddenly a crazy person. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, so I just said, I'm just gonna like apply the same attitude. And it wasn't that deliberate. I didn't, I didn't say, hey, there, there's room for a more welcoming approach here. It was just, I wanted to make my site, make it a little experiment. Be, and I, I was not like, you know, I wasn't invested in the plant-based thing. If it didn't work out, that would have been fine for me because I would have, I would have probably quit it. And eventually said, well, 
you know, I, I tried and it's important to me, but I can't make it work for my health or whatever. And, and I, I could have done that. I could have had that kind of honesty because I had no investment at all in this thing. I wasn't, hadn't been had it for 12 years as I have now. Um, so it was easy to kind of come at it and just be like, Hey, I'm a marathoner and I'm, um, I'm, I'm just trying this thing and here's how it's working. And I would kind of poke fun at myself and I would, like I said, posted some, I was eating some fish in the very early days of it. And I was posting those on my blog, these fish recipes on a site called No Meat Athlete. It just never occurred to me that people would see that and, and like vegetarians or vegans would be offended and be like, what are you doing? You can't, you can't share that stuff. Um, but it's indicative of my attitude. It was like, I'm just in this to see if it, see how it goes. And I think I was able to keep, even though I went 100% vegetarian and vegan, it became very important to me. Um, I was able to keep that attitude and not forget that like, what it feels like to be at the start when it just seems so strange of a concept. And you imagine that you could have no social life and no more restaurants and how much work it would be. And so I've able to, I've been able to keep that and that attitude of just like welcoming and like start, start where you are. If you can't go vegan overnight, it's okay. Like just take a, eat, eat some more vegetables today. Like that's a perfectly good starting point. You don't need to think about overhauling your entire diet and never being able to go back because to me that, that approach to change just for almost everybody does not last. Um, so. I've just tried to be cool. And I think what's really great about it all and about the, that attracted an audience who is like-minded. And so we have some running groups and things like that around. And almost all of them have the same exact idea. The people in charge of those have that same mindset. Of like, we're here just to welcome and spread this message and be good examples. We're not out to convert. We just we just do our thing and make it seem attractive, basically. Make, make it appealing to someone who would see uh, an homeopathic running group at a restaurant because they don't, they're not getting in fights about what's wrong and what's right. Not making a big scene and getting angry at the waiters. You know, I don't know. I just think, I think I really like that, that we have brought that way of spreading the message um, a little more to the forefront. And like I said, I don't, I don't think people who are the more extreme activists who, who do kind of make more of a scene and attract attention. Um, I don't think they're, a, that's a bad thing. I think that's, that serves an important point and it, it does get attention. And, and often maybe that attention is what, it takes the beginning to get someone to first, like me, to first notice that there's another alternative that you could take. And maybe it seems a little strange. And then, then someone that has more my approach could come in and say, hey, this, is, this doesn't have to be strange. It can be totally normal. And you, can, you don't have to you know, become an activist overnight because you've changed the way you eat. Um, so that, that's really what it's all about. Although, although you know, I guess outwardly facing, it's about fitness and plant-based. Um, but that allows us to sort of spread the message in this, in this kind of laid back way and, and in a way that I think is really I think the Nomad Athlete audience is full of people who are really, really good examples to people around them. People see these people as active, you know, the hopefully the healthiest, fittest people they know. And then they happen to eat a plant-based diet. And that's, to me, that's like our job is done. We can, we can be those examples in the world. And, and maybe you can attest to it as well, but the last couple of years, like I've been vegan since around 20, 2013, but heavily involved with doing 2014 and on. And I've noticed that the landscape of the vegan community has really started to open up. Whereas before you would just see the activists, you would see the demonstrations, but now you're starting to see celebrities, you're seeing athletes, musicians who you wouldn't even know they were vegan unless they said it. And I think that that's creating that balance where you can still have the hardcore activists because that's part of the community as well. There's people who mm -hmm. sign up to be, I say sign up like you have to website. <laughs> I'm vegan today. Well, people who become vegan strictly because they want to be that voice. But I feel like the way that we continue to spread and to grow as a community is to show that there are other ways to be an activist, other ways to share your voice. And you can just share your voice through being the best version of yourself, you know, by taking yourself on, challenging your limitations, which is, I would say so far has been the theme of our conversation, which is a powerful message you're putting out there. So speaking of which, something that you do, I have amazing amount of appreciation for because it's something I've yet to do, and that's write a book. So let's talk a little bit about that because, you know, I, you know, you can have someone who makes movies and makes videos, but for me, it's like writing a book is that like that thing that's like, it feels so huge because it's right. so like, take me through the first book that you wrote and how you got to that point. Yeah, that's a great question. And I'd love to talk about this because, um, 
there are many, many people who have a book, you know, in their mind, or or maybe a couple pages of a book in their mind, but not not a whole lot. But one day they're going to write a book, and it turns into really ultimately a huge lifelong procrastination and sort of thing where like it just it's almost like this hopeful glimpse of the future that will never actually happen for most people. Um, and so the way I wrote my first book, believe it or not, was actually by writing the blog Nomad Athlete. Uh, you know that of course that's what that's what attracted the attention of an audience and then an agent and then a publisher. Um, but what I mean more is like literally a lot of the content of that book came out of Nomad Athlete. Not always word for word, not usually word for word, although some sections of it actually did come word for word. I think the publisher back in those days said something like they want about 80% to be new content, but you can use 20% of like what you've already written and just, you know, plop it into the right chapter in the book and there you go. Um, so more importantly, though, like to me, I think if you want to write a book and it depends on the topic and all these things, but like just just write it in public, like just start get rid of that place to hide that says I'm going to one day churn out a book and I'm going to show up and say here world I wrote this whole book um instead like start writing your book on on the internet and, and it's you know I get that if it's like fiction it might be harder but why not like why not just start writing little chapters and publishing them online and showing a fam member saying hey I wrote this thing um you don't have to spread it you don't have to get attention for it necessarily unless you want to and if you did it wouldn't turn out to be a bad thing I don't think um but I just think I think that that practice of like say I'm going to write I'm going to publish something every single day and for me it was like the first sixty days of of the thing I said I'm going to publish something for these first sixty days back then because it was I figured that that would help Google find the site and it was it actually did that was that was effective back then but the more important part that I didn't realize is that by forcing yourself to do that you automatically like when you commit to that you have eliminated this idea that like I have to wait for inspiration to strike before I sit down and write. How about reversing it and say, I'm going to sit down and write and every single day I'm going to show up and write so that inspiration can can start to strike because I'm going to be showing up every day. And so eventually the muse, and this is a Stephen Pressfield idea, he has great books in this idea or in this in this kind of category, but eventually the, the muse or the inspiration or whatever you want to call it, that will start to realize that you're showing up at this time every single day and it's going to start to come at the same time. Um, so I think that's a huge thing. People wait for inspiration to strike or they wait for the time to you know, allow, but instead you just need to make that happen. And most of what you write, maybe in the early days, surely in the early days, for me, it was this way, is junk. Like the first 30 days of my blog, or even the first six months of the blog, it's cringeworthy stuff if I try to read it now. But like, you have to go through that phase. Like it just, it's, that is a necessary part of getting started is sucking for a while. You probably notice the same thing about podcasts. I'm sure if you go back to the first few episodes, <laughs> but you had to do them. And, and you, yeah. and if you had just kept those back and said, I'm going to produce hundred episodes first and I'm going to, they're just going to be for me. I'm not going to actually share them. You wouldn't actually do it. There, there'd be no uh, push for you to actually get it out, but you make that commitment and you say, well, I showed up this day. So people are expecting me to put the next one out. So anyway, it, it was mostly that. And that made, that made writing that book so easy because then, then I knew what my topics were. I knew what people like to hear about. Um, you just learned so much. And then it was easy to organize a book and say, well, I know now that it breaks down into these three sections because that's the post that this audience cares about. And I know which posts they already have in that category. And I'll just not not reuse most of them, but I know how to craft the message and, and incorporate those ideas because because I had already written all those things, you know, several times over by the time I wrote my first book. So, you know, no, no great uh, miracle in, in producing a book, really. It was just it was just a matter of showing up every day and eventually every you know couple days every three four times a week um and just and just writing out in public basically now is that still your process or do you have a different process as you've written a couple of them um it has changed for sure but and and the books have changed a little bit like so that for the cookbook it wasn't that way at all um and that was the second book was a cookbook that had many fewer words it was just a couple chapters in the beginning introductory kind of content um but i worked with the with the uh, recipe developer there and I had a few of my own too, but mostly for me, it was testing and overseeing recipes and making sure that the book, the shape of the book was kind of going in the direction and it was family friendly and affordable and all, you know, all these things that aren't entirely obvious, I guess, to, to someone else. Um, and then this reason book was much, much more Robert. Um, my, my role in this one was, you know, certainly I, I read every word many times over and made lots and lots of edits, but it helped in the beginning stages shape the direction and say, the chapters should be like this and this is what the chapters should be all that stuff. Um, but, but Robert absolutely did the vast majority of the actual writing and we pulled in some nomad athlete content for sure. Um, and there were some sections that I wrote, but, but by and large, that was his, his big writing project. 
Um, so I, I had a much different role and, and provided the platform for it, uh, of course, in the form of Nomad Athlete. Um, but yeah, it was different. So I don't have that process right now um, for any any kind of writing. I, I would really love to. In fact, I'm reading a book right now by Seth Godin, who is a great mentor of mine. Um, and the book is called The Practice. And the, the idea is pretty much exactly that. It's like, don't worry about outcomes. Don't worry about whether your work is being liked or or getting the response you want. The important part is you forming this practice that says, I'm going to deliver. In his words, I'm going to ship. Like, I'm going to ship some work every single day, even if it's just a little piece of something. But like, I'm going to start a blog post or I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to start showing up and I'm going to start shipping. And in that way, you get better. And it's like, you know, you don't judge the results in the short term because it's not about the results in the short term. It's about you, you know, committing to this craft and, and becoming an artist, whatever that means to you. Um, and so I don't know, I'm kind of like now with this book being so successful, I've sort of reevaluated a little bit some future possibilities. And so like, maybe, maybe I should like, I don't know. It just, it was really fun to write, to write this book. And, and like I said, Robert wrote most of it, but like to be part of this and, and help be part of the media kind of blitz that made it happen, which was actually small. And we, we did it all within the plant-based community for the most part, but it was really cool and really fun to do it and have so many people step up and offer to have us on their Instagram lives and on their podcast. Um, and so I've just wondered like, and another thing is rich. So I'm, I'm 40 now ritual on the ritual podcast. Cause we did that one as, as one of our big media pieces. Um, and he, he was very gracious host and has been so supportive all the time, but I, it occurred to me that he's 55 years old or nearly 55. And for whatever reason, when I, no, not whatever reason, cause this happens to a lot of people, but when I turned 40, I just started thinking for some reason, all my life I've thought about like, you know, the next thing, like, what am I going to do next month or this year? What's my goal? But for whatever reason, when I turned 40, I didn't think that way. I thought, what am I going to do by the time I'm 50 or, or how's it going to, how do I want to feel on my 50th birthday mentally, physically? Um, not just what kind of shape I'm in, but like, what have I accomplished? And I just like started thinking with a little bit longer time frame. And then we went to Rich Roll's thing and he said he was 55 and Rich is like, prime example of someone who's at the, at the top of the world as far as like media, you know, I mean, not media, but the reach of a platform and the respect and trust he's generated. And he's done that, I think, in the uh, probably the past seven years or so is about how long he's really been putting forth. So I thought, wow, like in 10 years from now, between now and, and 50 or even 55, like there's a whole lot you can build if you're willing to invest in the foundation. And like, it's okay if you spend the first two years just sort of you know, relatively quietly honing your craft. And then the next ones, and this is what Rich did, of course. Um, so I don't know, for whatever reason, I've been inspired about this. Like, I, I really want to find and make a, a practice because I've definitely gotten away from that. And I'd like to be more committed to the craft of writing um, or, or something else, maybe even some sort of other social media kind of thing. But uh, I don't know, I really do. I like, I hope you can tell, I like this this topic and this idea of of committing to something and and just sort of, showing up picking yourself is one of Seth's things like so many people wait around until they are picked until the world the publisher the tv station whoever picks you and says you're good enough you're it you're the star now we're going to invest everything in you it just doesn't happen it, it, it happened maybe in the old days a little bit but it doesn't now and the internet and the way the world is it's all about picking yourself it's about you saying i'm the one who's choosing myself to show up and do this work and then you do it long enough and you do it well enough and you respond and you get feedback um it, it, it's very hard for that not to work. I think if you're really committed to the process. So you, it's cool. First of all, congratulations on the success of the book um, with you and Robert. You. I've been seeing Thanks. all of the accolades and everything. That's amazing. So you're turning, you're 40 now. I'm next year. I'll be 42. So I'm like, I, 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 I feel, I feel a little bit, I feel what you're talking about here. Uh-huh. What would you say the 20 year old Matt say to the 40 year old Matt right now? looking in and your life right now, what do you think he would have to say? Well, with the younger me, so not advice to the past me or to the young me, but advice, or what would the young me say? No, about no, just the, just the younger you looking into the window of <laughs> who you are right now. What would he say? I, I think he would be very proud. I think, I think it's, it's not that I've achieved some great fame or fortune or anything like that, which maybe I would have dreamed of back then. Um, but what I've done that I'm proud of and that I think the young me would have been proud of, especially, especially the young me actually, is that I have not settled for any like lack of freedom, I guess, that, that the outside world might try to impose. Um, I, I tried for a little while to do like a regular job and I think I made it about six months before 
I just hated it and and just couldn't just couldn't do it. Like it was, there was no other option but to stop showing up. I guess I could have. <laughs> I guess I could have not stopped showing up and rather just actually formally quit the right way. But I just couldn't get myself to keep doing it. And I I said I cannot tolerate like that I'm doing this right now because I this is I I am meant in my opinion for so much more. And I don't I don't mean to minimize you know someone who's going to work to a job that they love and that is their purpose. That's wonderful. Um, but for me, I was like, this is not this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I think I think the young me would be very proud that I that I kept at it. You know, lots of things I had to do a lot of make sacrifices. We went into this, a lot of debt for a while. Um, I just I don't know, but I just sort of refused to compromise on like I'm going to when I wake up in the morning get to decide what I do that day. Uh, and it, it went through some really hard times. But um, I think I'd be really the younger me would be very proud that I I stuck with it and and you know now I'm getting to enjoy more of the fruits of that because it's. I will say it gets a little bit easier and it should, because I've been at it now for 12 years. So like I said, all these things accumulate the amount of work, um, the amount of podcast episodes we put out, the amount of articles on the internet, three books now, you know, it, it's, it accumulates and it gets easier as a result. Um, so I think I'd be, I think I'd be proud of myself for that. Now you, you started answering it at the beginning. Now, what would the 40 year old Matt say to the 20 year old Matt? Uh, I would tell him to be patient. And this is that that's something I have never really gotten. I guess I have started to, because like I said, when I turned 40, I started thinking about what about when I'm 50 rather than like, what's the goal I'm going to do right now. But, but Boston Marathon is a good example. Like that took me seven years in total. Um, but it only took seven years because every time I started training, like I made a training plan that was designed to get me to qualify for Boston at the end of it, at the end of that, like whatever it was, 20 weeks. Instead of saying, stepping back and saying, how about be a little bit patient and give yourself two or three years to do this? And let's play in the next five races and how you're going to improve each one of those by 20 minutes, which would still be a huge improvement. Um, I don't know. And so likewise, when it comes to working, I was in such a rush to be my own boss and and be able to quit my job. And so I went started grad school. I quit that as soon as I could. And it was like, I mean, I would have done it even years earlier, if not for my wife, you know and her had being less, less risk seeking than I was just more risk averse, more wanting more security. Um, and it would have been a mistake to quit that early. It was a mistake to quit as early as I did. I should have like the, the better thing to do is, Oh, and I wanted to tell her that she didn't have to work. I wanted her to quit her job because I just thought we got to be free of this stuff and we need to be our own bosses. Um, but in hindsight, if I, if we had been willing to work and just suck it up and like, you know, do that for five more years before we said, okay, cutting all ties with work. And now we're focusing hundred percent on this. Um, it would have been a much, much less rocky beginning for sure. Uh, and so I think it's hard to see that. I was so motivated by that freedom and by the cutting ties with the work, um, that I just had to jump into it. But, you know, I think also like, if you can keep your, I, back then I convinced myself that it was a good thing to quit and get rid of any other income so that I have to make this thing work. Um, nowadays I've, I have much more of an appreciation for, uh, good, like, I, I, this is a Seth Godin word again, just calling it art. It's, I don't know if you want to call it what I'm doing art or not. I don't know if I even call it that, but for lack of a better term, it's sort of doing your craft and making it, um, you can do a lot better of that. Usually most things you can do better when it, when your income and your family's well-being is not tied to it. There's less pressure. You're more free to do the things that make it interesting that actually make something get traction like by being different and not being afraid of offending people because for fear of what it might mean about your family's ability to eat. Um, you know, you can do better when, when you have a, a backup thing or another source of income. Um, so I, I think I wish I would have just been more patient with all of that stuff for sure. And also, and also experience a lot less stress. Like I've much of my life and waking up in the middle of the night, it's always been about, come on, you got to hurry up. Like you're getting older. You you're missing your chance to do this. You should have done this by now. And it doesn't, it's really not helpful in any way. So I just, I wish I could have been more patient <laughs> with everything. So, so we're starting to wind down the podcast and I want to dig a little bit deeper into you and find out, I don't know if you've created one or if you ever thought about it, but bucket list, right? So like <laughs> if you had a one, what would be one item that you'd be interested in sharing to our audience is something that you have on that list that you haven't done yet. Uh, I don't know how interesting this is, but I, I really want to 
live in another country where they speak a different language than English uh, for a long time, like not just go visit, but be a resident and like fully immerse and understand a different culture. I guess there's an extent to which you can understand another culture like this, but you know, where you're going to the grocery store and you're learning how that culture buys food and, and lives and eats and goes out on weekends where you kind of just get to experience all different facets of life by being there long enough that it's not just a visit. Uh, so that, that, and of course, you know, learn, learn a new language in the process. Um, hopefully. So that, that's just a huge one of mine. I'd love to do it when my kids are still young enough to, you know, have to come with us and not, not just have a choice. Um, I don't know if that part will happen because it's, it's just hard and they're in schools and they're in soccer and all the stuff that it would be hard to take them out of. But that's definitely for me, a big bucket list item. Um, so that's the one I've got a few like race things I would love to one day do the bad water ultra marathon. That's the huge 135 thing mile run through death Valley where it's so hot on roads. Uh, for some, for whatever reason, that one just has always attracted me. So has running across the country. I think that's just such a cool thing to imagine doing that. Even if it was at a relatively slow pace. Um, I don't know if I'll ever do those. They're, they're not like bucket lists. Like I'm actively working on them. They're just sort of like nice to have one day. Uh, so I, I have no idea if I'll if I'll ever get re-inspired the way I was with running before and do what it takes to get one of those things done. But uh, they, they'd be cool for sure. All right, and this will be one of the last questions. So in terms of food, that's a huge part of this lifestyle. What is your go-to meal? Whether you make it yourself or you get it from somewhere else, like what's your what's your number one? Uh, I have two kind of. So my if I'm not thinking about health at all, it'll be a pasta dish. I just, I really, really love cooking Italian food. Uh, I'm not Italian at all. And, and in fact, if I go live in another country, I hope it's Italy. Uh, but I just love like, and this is my go-to meal. This is, this is my, my weekend activities with my kids. Sometimes we make all these different handmade pastas and things. And I just love that stuff. Uh, it's one of my favorite things in the world to go spend an afternoon working on a pasta. And then we're going to eat it up in 20 minutes, but it's just so much fun to, that anticipation and making something with that much love. Uh, I just love that. So that's it. And then, and then as a result, I will sort of try to channel that. If I'm in a pinch, I'll just make a quick tomato. I have like 30 different tomato sauce recipes. Uh, and so I'll make just pasta for dinner. And I do that too much because it's not the healthiest choice I can make. I'm sure. And I can't, I can't do the bean pastas or any of the healthy ones. I just need regular old, I mean, I can do whole wheat, but like, I don't know. So the way I can make that healthy though is, and this is my better answer is that what I'm, and I don't know, don't know what to make for dinner. If I think a grain, a green, and a bean, and I don't know if other people know this formula now. I don't know if I made it up. I wrote it a long time ago on No Meat Athlete, not really knowing any better. But it turned out to be this thing that I like found was such a useful framework. If if you because you can stare at your pantry or your fridge and just not have any plan what you're going to make. But as soon as you think what combination of grain, green, and bean could I make? Basically meaning a grain, a vegetable, and then some sort of legume. Um, you end up making really good meals and, and they, they're always healthy. So it, this, it sounds like they wouldn't be very good. It sounds like the big vegan bowl of sadness where it's just this big mushy thing, but like, you know, a pasta dish, if I, which I always put beans into the sauce very often, cause it's a very authentic kind of old Italian thing to do when people couldn't afford to put meat and things in there, they put beans in. Um, and so like you can get a tomato sauce with chickpeas in it. That's a very common thing in, in the Puglia region. Uh, and you throw in some some beet greens that have been sautéed, or some arugula, and put that, and suddenly you have the grain in the pasta, the bean in the in the sauce, or in the you know in your yeah mixed into your sauce, and then you've got your green also stirred in or on the side. Um, stews can be easily done with it. A taco, for example, a stir fry. There are lots and lots of ways. But as soon as I think in that framework, um, it just kind of lets me throw something together, even without a recipe. Uh, and it, and it's always pretty healthy if I if I make sure to include all three of those things. All right. And this segment, I'm going to um, give you the floor to talk about any projects that you're working on, anything that maybe we didn't discuss that you would like to talk about. Um, so I'll, I'll yield. Hmm. Um, that's a good one. It, I'm at a weird phase because we just finished this book and it was a tremendous amount of effort to, to do what we did with it, which is reach the New York Times bestseller list, which was one of my bucket list items would have been, would have been my big one if we hadn't already done it. Um, so I'm at, I'm at this weird phase where like, I don't have a whole lot of projects. Um, I'm like trying to figure out what the next one is. And I actually, for once have the luxury of like a little bit of space and time to think about what do I really want to spend the next few years working on? Um, I'm, I'm really excited about our supplement company. It's called, it's called compliment. 
what we do is make we make supplements that are for, designed specifically for plant-based people. A lot of times people have asked me like things like, well, like how come how can a vegan diet can be good if you have to supplement it? And my answer recently, I've realized that what it is is like when I went vegan, I removed you know seventy percent of the supplements I was taking. And before that, I was taking uh, a multivitamin that was loaded with all these different things. But now I get so many from my food that I only need a handful of those things, and that can be just B12 for some people, for others, it's B12, DHA, EPA, and D3. And then for others, it includes things like iodine, magnesium, selenium, zinc, you know, you can go a little further. But uh, I really like that company. I like our mission with that. I like the what we are doing with supplements for plant-based people, trying to make it not some shameful thing, like the diet doesn't work if you have to supplement it. Um, so I, that's, I guess, you know, that, that's sort of where we've turned turn a lot of attention. We're trying to expand that line and make uh, a lot of really cool like sports supplements and things that aren't aren't meant to be for every vegan, and we're not going to try to tell everyone they need them. But uh, just to do a better job, like we made that product because my family wanted it. I was buying different bottles of different pills and combining them, and it was a pain. But I wanted my kids to have something that was you know that feel really good about them being plant based eaters. And so now, then we did the same thing with protein powder, and now we want to do it with a whole lot of other things that that are sports. And there's like there's so many sports nutrition things that. They're just, I just would never take any of them because of the way they're made. So we're trying to just like make them really good, really big, make them good enough for someone who cares enough about what they eat in order to be plant-based. If you're plant-based, you care a lot about what you eat. And we want to make a lot of supplements for those people. So I guess in some way, this is a pitch and ad. It's not, it's not a cool, like just generous project uh, that I'm working on that you can go check out. But I, I do think, you know, it feels that way to me. And I think, uh, I think we're onto something really good with it. So it's called Compliment and the website is lovecompliment.com. And where else can they find you? Oh, you know what? I got one more. This is, this is actually a really good one. Um, we partnered with Spartan, the, the race company, to, to do a Nomad Athlete race. It's the first Spartan race that is 100% plant-based. And it's, uh, it's the Golden Gate Trail Series. It's, uh, I think it's four different distances, and it's out in California, in San Francisco, Golden Gate, of course. Um, trail runs, and it's like November 20th and 21st of 2021. Um, so our whole team will be out there running a different distance. And uh, some of our plant bites, which is another really great sports supplement we've made, that'll be some of the fuel that's at the aid station. So it's super fun to be doing that with a big mainstream company like Spartan and getting them to do a plant-based race. So that's probably the, that's probably the better thing to a uh, better project to have promoted. Anyway, where people can find me is uh, nomadathlete.com is where the blog is. As I said, lovecompliment.com is the supplements. Um, we have nomadathlete radio podcast, and then we're on Instagram, nomadathlete underscore official. And I have just started a personal Instagram, which is just called Real Matt Frazier. So check those out, please. And now the last thing that I'm going to have you do, and then the podcast is going to close out at the end of you speaking, is just from your heart, whatever has been coming up for you lately, whatever you want to share with the community listening right now, this is your floor to close out the episode with whatever message you want to share. Oh man, that's a lovely opportunity. I'm totally unprepared. Uh, I guess because for me, I've been thinking so much about this, this picking yourself idea. When we hit the New York Times bestseller list, that was like a decade long or more dream come true. Um, and the day that we were to find out about it, the day we all knew what the sales were and all that, we thought we might make this list and we might not because there's an arbitrary nature to it. Um, I was just thinking in the morning about like, wow, like this is such a make or break day. And then I was like, you know what? It's not really a make or break day because a long time ago, like I said earlier, I picked myself and I said, I'm going to start showing up and I'm going to start writing my stuff and publishing it. And it, you know, the outcome's not going to matter. I'm just going to keep putting this stuff out there. And in that way, pick myself, not wait for someone else to not wait for a New York Times person, one of three people on their committee to say I'm good enough to get this. And so it's like, it would be cool to make this list, but that's just a tiny little surface level kind of like, you know, improvement. Uh, to, you know, the body of work that I've spent the last 12 years making. And so this is not to, to brag and say, look at me, I mean, I did this and I picked myself 12 years ago, but rather I hope that people will hear that someone who who's waiting to write a book or, you know, wants to do whatever that involves eventually, you know, achieving something in there. Um, I just think I, I was very, very grateful to be in a spot where like, I really wanted to, to get this accolade and get this recognition but realizing that so much more important was the work was already done, the stuff that I have done up until that point. So I would just encourage you, if you're if you're thinking of that, if you're dreaming of something, um, ask yourself how can you pick yourself instead of sitting around waiting to be picked. Um, 
or how can you start doing it in public? How can you make it a practice instead of a, a procrastination, basically? Um, so that that's it. I would encourage anyone out there to to harness you know this incredible power. We now we all have publishing houses basically in our laptops, uh, and it's it's a really really cool time we're living in. So uh, if you're if you're not picking yourself in from some some format, you're kind of wasting it. Um, you already are, of course, Sean. You, you started this group. You started this this podcast. Um, and, and I really appreciate that you're doing that work. So thank you for that. Thank you for spreading the message. And, uh, and thanks everyone for being a part of it and for, for listening today. You are listening to the SoFlo Vegans podcast. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes season six of the SoFlo Vegans podcast. We want to thank all of our guests that agreed to come on, speak with us, share their thoughts. We want to thank you for listening in and following us. I know our 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 release schedule is a little inconsistent but we are ready for season seven we have already eight episodes recorded we have a few more coming up exciting times for soulflow vegans so thanks to matt frazier for being this episode's guest season one is going to be coming right around the corner going to be launching october 6th so you'll be able to listen to Josie Clemens from Hell's Kitchen as our first episode. And we're excited about that. And just to let you know, if you don't want to wait until we drop these new episodes, you can register to become a member, either a free or paid member, and you will gain access to these episodes weeks and in some cases months in advance. So right now, if you were to log in, you'll be able to listen to our episode with Josie Clemens with 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 Chef Emily Hirsch, as well as a few other people we have put up in our vault. So make sure you check that out. Go to soflowvegans.com support to see all of the ways you can support our growing movement. Cannot do this without your support. So we want to thank everyone that is doing that. And speaking of which, we want to thank our community members. These are individuals who have agreed to support us with a $10 a month subscription. We appreciate you. And that, of course, is Sinclair Dickinson, Carrie Ann Stone, Mary Harris, and Laura Weisblatt. So thank you all for your support, your continued support. And if you want to support us, go to soflowvegans.com slash community. You can sign up as a free member. You can sign up as a, a community member. And we appreciate it. We'll give you a shout out on the episode. So we look forward to having you join us again next week as we put out the first episode of season seven. Looking for your feedback. If you like what you hear or you have some comments or things you would like to hear or maybe even guests you would like to have on the show, shoot us an email, contact at soulflowvegans.com. We would love to hear from you. So with that being said, we'll see you next time. Today's episode was produced and edited by Sean Russell. Our associate producer is Lauda Gomez. To become a sponsor, please visit soflowvegans.com promo for more details.